0: So for 300 years, the pattern of Christ, which we're calling by my spirit Christianity, was retained in the church by virtually all Christians because of the apostolic fathers of the church. Okay, they their desire, their goal was to keep things from changing because Jesus had conveyed the truth to the apostles. And now the apostolic fathers had received that truth, and their goal was to just keep it from being diluted and polluted. So they're trying to keep it right. They're trying to keep it the way it originally was, as it came from Jesus. That's why they're called apostolic fathers. But then in 3.13, something happened. Something intruded. Something came in to confuse the picture, And I believe that this thing that came in has also been the reason why we remember so little of what really happened to spread the gospel of the kingdom to the West so that the power, the transformational power of God moved through France and on into Britain. And, and we, we don't really remember what happened during those years. Really, the first seven centuries are virtually a blank. And we have this idea, at least I always had this idea, that everything before the Reformation was all Roman Catholic. But that is not true. That is what has been made to seem true. But now what we're going to see is that this thing came in to create confusion. We want to know what that is. I need to to bring that out into the open so we can look at it. In three hundred thirteen the emperor Constantine uh, and his co emperor Licinius uh, created an edict, the Edict of Milan that ended persecution toward Christians, restored the property that uh, Christians had lost uh, from the previous emperor Diocletian, and so they were they were all restored to their property and and restored to full social status in Rome. But an additional thing happened that often we're not aware of today, and that is that Constantine, who took over pretty much, uh, took over the full emperorship, Licinius kind of falls away, and, and then Constantine gets together with the Pope at that time, whose name was Sylvester I, and they form a league. And basically, Constantine says to Sylvester, let's have Christianity be the official religion of the Roman Empire, and uh, and Sylvester said, yes, let's do it. And so the two form this league, and Christianity became an imperial religion. And what that did, what was so uh, damaging uh, about that is that it created another pattern. We'll call this a hybrid pattern where the Roman Empire and the Christian faith come together and and become what I'm going to call power and might Christianity. There's a new pattern that's going to enter in and replace the pattern of Christ. It's as though the people of that age wanted to believe that Jesus was just an ordinary king like all the other kings, and somehow they didn't hear Zechariah 4 6, not by power and might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so they created a new pattern that was different from the pattern we just looked at in the last teaching. So, for example, instead of surrender to the king that we talked about last time, you have obedience to the pope. What's wrong with obedience to the pope? Well, Jesus talked about that, actually, in Matthew 23, verses 8 through 10, where he's warning his disciples about being too dependent on any one human being. That's the theme of Matthew 23, 8 to 10. And he says, call no man on earth your father, your papa, your pope. That's what the word pope means, your father. Because you have one father in heaven, and you don't need any human father because you, you, you have enough of a father in God himself. And so it's that direct connection, you see. Now, suddenly, a person is being presented as being more important. You don't surrender to the king and and have him as your your rabbi, your teacher, your, your, your Christ, but you've got a pope now who's going to be more important to your daily life. This is a different thing from surrender to the king. Do you see that? It's an alternative teaching, obedience to the Pope versus surrender to the King. Then that's going to lead to another change. Instead of empowerment by the Holy Spirit, we're going to have the power of politics and Roman wealth and just the power of Rome itself, the power of this world. The, the political power and all of the worldly power of Rome. And so, power of the Holy Spirit be virtually forgotten because this other power has come and fascinated Christians. Then, along with that, here we have laws written on hearts and we're going to submit ourselves to Christ and allow him change, to change our hearts and make us more and more loving and holy and righteous and uh, and the way that God wants us to live. But instead of that, what's going to happen is corruption, unfortunately, because that's what worldly power does to our hearts. And we're going to see that as we go along. Instead of humility and servanthood, Christian leaders are going to walk around in fancy, regal splendor, and be carried around by slaves, and sleep in feather beds, and they're going to have all of the glory of Rome, is now going to be the inheritance of Christian people, and that is not going to mix well with humility and servanthood. Instead of love and unity, Rome is going to be fascinated with uniformity uniformity is the way that they're going to try to get everybody to stay together. In other words, if you're going to have monasteries, they all need to be an exact carbon copy of each other. You can't have variations because that's not unity. So their idea of unity is going to be make everybody the same. And, of course, that's going to be flowing from the Pope and the hierarchy, and then, of course, instead of the authority of prayer, you've got the authority of Rome itself. And so um, the actual daily life of Christians is going to be taken up with ministering under that worldly authority of Rome, Roman authority, instead of the authority of Christ, being seated with Christ in heavenly places then a direct connection with God is going to be replaced by a whole uh, hierarchical pyramid of intermediaries. Okay, you can't get with God directly. You, you need us, the intermediaries of the church, to stand between you and God. You can't know what he's saying. You can't talk directly with him you need to have the hierarchy. So this is another pattern that's different from the pattern of Christ that was established at first. Now, did this power and might Christianity work? I believe that all of those Christian leaders thought this is the greatest thing since buttered bread and we're going to just spread the gospel now that we've got all this power and might. Who who can resist us? And so they're going to go to the west. What we want to do is to trace how, trace how the gospel went west. And so here we have the Celts again. Remember them. And uh, we've already seen them under uh, Julius Caesar and how Rome conquered them to make them civilized. Well, now they're going to Britain. The Celtic tribes of Britain are now going to get the gospel. And they're going to get it from the power and might church that's in its heyday during the fourth century. This is that great century after the Edict of Milan. And, and they're, they're going out and just waxing with strong with power. And they're, they're going to conquer the Celts in Britain. And then they're going to establish the one true religion in, among the Celtic people. And they're going to create actually three bishoprics. There's going to be a bishopric at York, a bishopric at Lincoln, and a bishopric at London. These are the centers of the church, of the Roman Catholic Church in Britain. But uh, how do you think the Celts felt about this? If you're thinking, well, I wouldn't have really appreciated this if if I had been them, Um, well, you're pretty good at guessing that this did not go over well with any of the Celtic people. They were quite happy with their Druid faith, and they didn't see any need for the Romans to come in and give them Christianity. So, and on top of that, something happened that was very inconvenient for the Romans. In 410, this man, Alaric, the king of the Visigoths, came in and conquered Rome. And Rome fell, and the empire collapsed. So then they withdrew from Britain, and all the churches that had been established collapsed. Nothing remained of them. And one historian put it this way. He said that the the Celtic Christians who had been part of those churches, they all just ran off into the hills. So there was nothing left. It was a total failure. This was a disaster of major proportions, and the Roman Catholic attempt at establishing power and might Christianity was a failure. All right. Before we go on to say what succeeded, we need to make sure that you don't think that I'm just preaching an anti-Roman Catholic message here. I'm not against Roman Catholicism at all, believe it or not. What I'm against is power and might Christianity, which is not a denominational thing. What I'm saying is that a stronghold that exalts itself against the word of God came into the church and established itself inside the church. But that stronghold is not a denominational thing. Let me give you an example of this. Um, About a 100 years ago, Christians in the United States of America, in Canada, and in Australia decided, now that we've conquered the First Nations, the Native Americans, the Aboriginals, now that we've conquered them, we need to make them be Christians like us. And so the idea was we're going to establish a whole network of schools, Indian boarding schools, and we're going to force the people to surrender their children. We're actually going to send sheriffs into their homes and make the children come to our schools where we're going to knock their culture out of them and we're going to make them become good white Christians like us. They're the pagans. We're the civilized Christian people coming in. We know better. We're going to in our great magnanimity, we're going to offer them these schools and make them come to them whether they like it or not. And so, Here they are, they're going to come in and they're going to be in these schools for a long time. These schools are going to last for a while. And I wonder how you think they worked, how you think they succeeded. Um, Just this year and last year Canada has been involved in truth and reconciliation commissions in which they've invited Native people to come in and share the truth of what actually happened in these schools. And rampant abuse, rampant abuse is what happened. Um, We ask ourselves, why is it that fewer than 10% of Native people have become Christians? And my answer to that question is, it's because of the same reason that Rome failed in its attempt to reach out to the Celtic people of Britain. They tried the wrong approach. Here's what I'm saying to you. Power and might Christianity and the patterns of that are not the patterns of Christ. They're not what God has established as the method of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. Now, examine your own life and ask yourself, do I have the patterns of by-my-spirit Christianity in my own life? Is there anywhere where any of those ingredients are lacking in my life? And I ask you to just examine your heart today because this power in my Christianity, it seems to people like it's wonderful. It's, I have this wonderful idea and I'm going to do this for Christ. But you see, if it's not the pattern of Christ, it's probably going to fall flat on its face. So what we need to do is to look at these two alternatives which we're unfortunately going to have to trace right on through history as we see the kingdom of God and the gospel of of the kingdom going to the west, but then this other thing is going to go with them, and it's going to create problems and confusion everywhere it goes. So this is going to be a major lesson, but I just want to say, could, could you look at yourself and ask yourself, what kind of Christian am I?